the left corner to Aguila. Aguila the left circle. Passing the yellow shot. Save made by Aguila. Three about another shot. They score! The Blades win it! Yeah, baby! They score! And the sea of red erupts. Flames talk starts now on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Here's Pat Steinberg and Wes Gilbertson. All right, happy Friday. We are underway this hour. Welcome to the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe, Calgary's trusted locksmith for emergency unlocks and more. Visit calgarylockandsafe.com. Steinberg and Wes Gilbertson along with you this hour. Hello, Wes. How are you, buddy? Good. I'm good. It's good to have you back on board. Good to be back. Wes is closing out Flames Talk for the summer. This uh, Welcome to the final hour of Flames Talk before we hit the summer hiatus. We're available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, wherever you get your podcast. And, of course, live right here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. And uh, we are coming at you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Now, as we head into the Flames the final, I'm sorry, hour of Flames Talk. For yes. the se- like, I, I just want to know the stakes here. Am I still a dark horse for the Calder? Oh, absolutely. We have not we have not chosen a rookie of the year. So then, absolutely. Okay, I'm going to bring it today. You're one, you're one of the three finalists. Like, we pared it down to three from three. You know, and, and, and here we are. I know I just said I was going to bring it, but quite frankly, I'm just happy to be invited to the awards gala. We're happy to have you as well. Is that in Nashville still? Yeah, I, ho- I hope not. I don't. I don't need to go back there anytime. Nashville soon. North, maybe. I I did not need Nashville to be followed like within days by the Stampede. I really, the whole body did not need that. Yeah. And yet here we'll, we are. We'll talk to somebody. They should plan that better for you. Like that, or at least put it in Winnipeg. I'm not going to have the same Nashville issues in Winnipeg. No. Yeah. Winnipeg's a great spot. It it actually does get too too bad a rap, but the and here I thought you were saying it should be the Winnipeg Stampede next year. No, we, I'd still like to keep keep the Stampede. The stampede. Yeah, we Winnipeg should, can have the draft. Ours. You heard it here first. Uh, Winnipeg can have uh, the. No, that's Quebec City with the creepy marshmallow man. <laughs> um. Okay, this hour. All about the text line, 960-960. If you're listening live, it's time for the final edition of our Flames Talk mailbag. I figured it's the final Flames Talk of the summer. Let's uh, just get into some of the things that we might see this summer. Uh, questions that you might have. So at 960-960, if you're listening live, get your questions in on the text line. Get your uh, thoughts in. What has happened? Why the season went the way it did? Why this or that happened? Or what uh, is coming next? Any questions for Wes and me? Get them in now at 960-960. We'll Start with Cole, who says, guys, what's your honest take on the future? Feels like they should have started this process last year of rebuilding. Um, What is that's a really good question. It's incomplete because there's still decisions that need to be evaluated that haven't been made yet. But what is your honest take of the future for the Calgary Flames? Yeah, that's a that's a very good question from Cole. And I think the part that dovetailed was his suggestion that it could have happened a year ago. Certainly, you know, if, if you go back to whatever the fl- final Flames talk of, of 2022 was and sort of the excitement that was building, assuming, you know, we're talking about coverage of the Kachuk trade and, and despite Johnny Gaudreau's departure, like people... People thought this team, and I was one of them, people thought this team could really do some damage this season. And so I've certainly 
cooled off on what I think the current core is capable of. And yet I think it's really difficult to assess the future of the team without seeing some of the moves that we keep waiting for this summer. The one thing I will say is the, in my opinion, the Calgary Flames as they're built today are not a team that I see being a, a contender with the, with just the pieces they have now. Craig Conroy needs to strengthen this team. And I love what I'm hearing about injecting some youth, yep. about giving some young players a chance, because I think what we learned this past season is that, and it wasn't just the coach, that current group as it's constructed is probably not a Stanley Cup team at least that's from my vantage point and so I don't know if that answers Cole's question on the future but I think Craig Conroy needs to answer that part about the future next because this team is certainly going to need some tweaks I I don't know if it's a you know tear down overhaul but there there's some tweaks needed for this to be a team that can be right in the thick of it yeah I would say my take on the future is I, I would say quiet or 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 uh, subdued optimism because we haven't seen some of the moves play out yet I can't give like a final evaluation but I'm optimistic because chatting with Craig on mic off mic like he is committed to getting younger yeah and he is committed on and and it was one of the things that I know that he really believed while he was AGM that that young players deserved an opportunity and and he's talked a little bit about that in some of his different availabilities I do think the idea of giving younger players more of an opportunity and putting them in higher leverage spots on a more regular basis, that gives me some optimism. And this team does not have, as it stands right now, the sexiest of systems. They, they just don't. Uh, because so many first-round picks have been traded away, because a lot of the guys that were considered prospects have turned into bonafide NHLers, whether it's Johnny or Matthew, Sam Bennett, Sean Monaghan, these guys all were the prospects in the past, even Rasmus Anderson and Oliver Shillington, well, they're on out. They're on. They're not prospects anymore. They're NHLers, and as a result, with so many first round picks and other picks traded away, you know, you're looking at a system that has Matt Coronado, who I am quite excited for this year. Yeah. Uh, now Sam Hanzek and and some of the other players, whether it's Moran or Lipinski or uh, Sinev or some of the other players drafted most recently, Connor Zary, Jacob Pelche, and Dustin Wolf. They, they have some intriguing prospects, but it's not the NHL's sexiest system right now. Sure. But I just, I'm, I want to see Jacob Pelche as a full time NHLer. I think Matt Coronado's got a chance to be a full time NHLer this year. And, and just, I want to see what happens and how they work Dustin Wolf into the mix. How many, how many starts can he actually end up getting this year, whether a trade is made or a trade is not made? So that gives me optimism. The fact that they're willing to go a little bit younger, I think they're willing to take a step back in terms of their immediate competitiveness to build something. It's not going to be a Chicago-style full-on uh, full blow-up and, and, and full-on teardown, but it is a pivot. It is a different direction, and Craig Conroy's been on the job for a couple of months. 
He's going to be committed to it. This is now his direction that he's got the keys to drive the car in. So I, I am optimistic about it, and, and I also like the idea that on top of that, there's just a fresh buzz around the team. Internally, players, management, coaching staff, there's just a buzz around the team that, that there is a new direction here coming, and let's see how it plays out. Yeah, and I think where what you're saying and what I was saying sort of pair up so well is that what we're seeing is an acknowledgement for management that they can't just run it back with the same group and expect different results. They, you know, they can't fill out a lineup with just sort of some veteran pieces that they do have to inject some youth that they're going to need some fresh looks. And, And so I think, I think fans should be optimistic I, I absolutely like the patience that Craig Connor has shown. I, I like everything that I've been hearing, at, as have you, off mic, on mic, about what the direction is supposed to be. And there is reason for optimism. It's just not the same as the optimism a year ago where it was, whoa, I, I think this team might storm out of the gates and be the class of the NHL for a big chunk of the season. There's going to be some growing pains mm-hmm. here in Calgary and it is time that the organization committed to that. And I think you mentioned, you know, the Bennett's and the Monahans and the Rasmus Andersons and the Oliver Shillington. This Flame scouting staff has done a good job of, of finding players, especially recently. And now it's time to see what some of the more recent finds are capable of. Yep. Uh, okay, this is from Josh. This is a fun one. How much impact will Jerome Ginla have on the Flames next season? Are the Flames using Aginla as the face again? Uh, well, no. Jerome's an advisor. And as of right now, he is a very background advisor. I know that he's kind of, he doesn't want to be the face. He wants to, he he's working for Craig. And, and he fully is on board with working for Craig Conroy. You know, maybe when they were playing, Craig was working for Jerome. And now Jerome's working for Craig. And, and, and Jerome would be the first guy to tell you that. This is Craig's team. And I'm not the face. This is, Craig's the face of this team. At least the face of the management team. Um, what type of impact though, obviously remains to be seen, but I think he's going to have a real, I, I think eventually he'll be an assistant general manager and I think he'll have a big impact on this team. And we're talking about a guy who's been very involved in hockey over the last number of years. He is, has always had a ridiculous IQ for the game. And, and we know specifically his offensive acumen and his offense, the way that he read the game offensively top notch. I think I think he's going to make an impact when it comes to the type of players they bring in, some of the opinions he has on players, who they target. I know that he and Craig think very, very similarly about the game right now. So I, I think he absolutely will have an impact and a big impact on that on this team. Yeah, and it's going to be an impact that is impossible to measure. It, it was a similar conversation that we were having when we were trying to analyze Craig Conroy or, or Brad Pascal's candidacy to be GM. It's really tough to tell what different members of the front office might be contributing. And, and it's really tough to to say, well, that's that's that guy's impact over there. And, and you know, that Jerome brought that. But I agree. I think behind the scenes, he is going to have a, a really significant impact. It was neat of us. Sorry, it was neat. For those of us who were there on the Saturday of development camp. For those of us. For those of us. Not everybody was there. Not every. Some of us it, were hung over. <laughs> It was neat to see him chatting in the hallway outside the locker room with 
Honzek and, and with Lipinski and with Matt Coronado. And if that's the start of his impact, you know, we talked to, to Sam Honzek, the Flames' most recent first-round selection, and he was talking about the shooting tips that Jerome Aginla had given him. You know, you've got to be a little bit more deceptive. Here's how you can do it. You know, here here's where your hand position should be. Like if if Jerome McGinley, who only scored, I believe, 625 goals in the NHL, is offering shooting advice to one of your top prospects, that's already having an impact. Yep. And you could tell talking to Sam Honzek that day that he was going to take that and really try to implement it in his game because that's coming from a Hockey Hall of Famer. Yep. And so when he goes to visit those two players with the the Vancouver Giants during the season, when a WHL team passes through Kelowna, which is Jerome's hometown now, and, and he can give them some advice. Hey, I watched your game tonight, and here's a couple things I noticed. Even if it comes to the point that he's sending a text to Matt Coronado when he's in a scoring slump and, and saying, hey, I used to do interviews every single fall in Calgary about my slow start. It was like a tradition. Yeah. So, hey, you've played eight NHL games this season. You haven't scored. Well, don't worry too much about it. This is my experience. All of that stuff is going to add up to really make a difference because not many people and certainly not many people in the history of this organization have that sort of clout. Flames talk mailbag. 969.60 on the text line if you're listening live. This says, what do the Flames need to do in the next two to three weeks in order for the offseason to be considered a success? That's a, that's a really good question. I think if they can move one of Hannafin or Lindholm, and obviously Lindholm depends on what his decision is or where he is uh, leaning on potentially signing back with the Flames beyond next season. I think if they can avoid going into next season with one of those guys on an expiring contract, yeah. that's a that's a win. And then obviously getting a good return for them. But if they can make a trade that gets them a good return on Noah Hannafin and then they roll the dice, potentially, not even roll the dice, but just start the year with Lindholm on an expiring contract or Lindholm tells them no, they trade Lindholm and they start the season with Hannafin and still have the option to trade him early on. That to me would be successful. I really think you want to avoid having both those guys on expiring contracts. Ideally, if they're going to be expiring and they're not going to resign, you'd like to trade them both. But just looking at the realistic nature of things might not happen. Um, but I, I think if you could trade one of those two guys, granted, if Lindholm tells you he's not going to resign, that, I think, for me, would be considered a success. Yeah, and I know in, in the text, the, the question was posed as what would need to happen, I think, in the next two to three weeks. And, and what you're talking about and what I'm going to talk about is more what needs to happen before training camp. And those are the two sort of top of the list. You need, you need to address Noah Hannafin's future, and then you're going to, before training camp, I think you're going to require an answer during that time frame from Elias Lindholm. You can go into the season with him on an expiring contract, and maybe not everyone else is going to know what his answer is, but you need to know before Elias Lindholm gets to training camp how he's feeling about his future in Calgary. And, and I really do think, and we've talked lots about timeline, and I, I've had more time to sort of ponder it myself. I do think you're going to need that answer 
before training camp, or this threatens to become a real distraction for the Calgary Flames. And and I'll just add one thing to the list before training camp, and I think we're going to talk more about this later as well, but there's going to need to be some sort of solution or some sort of addition offensively for this team. That This is a team that's going to struggle as currently constructed. It's going to struggle to put goals up, you know, is going to struggle to put points on the board for me this season. And so we've heard Craig Conroy talk about trying to add a top six forward. That That's sort of a summer tradition in a lot of hockey markets, this being one of them. But I, I do want to see how the Flames' new brain trust addresses what looks like, it, to me, is going to be a team that just doesn't have enough lamplighters. Fair. I think that's fair. Curious to see what the, and it doesn't, I, I, to your point, next two to three weeks, I think that for me, I look at it more when it comes to the rest of the offseason. Yeah, prior before to training camp. camp. I'm with you there on yeah. that one. Uh, this is from James in Hillhurst. Do you think there was any hard feelings amongst the recent Flames Corps that Treliving nickel and dime them on their contracts, but then open the vault for Huberdeau and Kadri? Um, I don't know. That's a really good question. I think that depending on the, uh, depending on the person, there could be. Um, I think what happened in those circumstances that the Flames just lost two key players and felt like they didn't, specifically on Huberto, they couldn't let the guy go. They couldn't let him also walk away, so needed to sign him to a big contract. Kadri, I think, is a little bit different because he was an unrestricted free agent. A little bit of a different scenario. Huberto was a player under team control, but... Yeah, I mean, I, I sometimes think that that can, um, that can be a thing, but I don't think that it was a uh, large reason for why this season went off the rails. I'll say that. Yeah, I, I certainly think that, let's say, the majority of NHLers or the majority of guys in the Flames locker room are aware of the salaries of their teammates. And where they think they should fit in and where they do fit in you know if if a guy thinks he's the best forward on the team and he is the fifth highest paid player or fifth highest paid forward on the team that's probably going to rub him the wrong way is is that directed at the way brad negotiated their contracts in some cases four or five seasons ago i don't think so i, I don't necessarily think the frustration is with them but Whenever a guy is getting toward the end of a contract, he's looking at what his teammates are making and where he thinks he should fit in. And and you couldn't blame Elias Lindholm. And I, I don't know, because I don't even think the Flames and Elias Lindholm have talked much about numbers. I don't know what sort of money he's going to be looking for. But if he looks and he's got another forward on his team making 10 and a half, well how much less does he think he should accept? Mm -hmm. And that's what makes upcoming negotiations really tricky is we talked for years and Brad Treliving was really adamant about, you know, kind of capping salaries at where Mark Giordano was. We're not going to pay. We're not going to pay anyone yeah, the internal cap, remember? right? We're not going to pay anyone more than our captain's making. Well, the internal cap has changed a lot. And that's complicated by the fact that the guy who's making the most money really struggled last season and didn't put up the sort of numbers that would justify that sort of extension. And, and so 
I don't think it's necessarily sour grapes about what happened a few years ago, but those contracts are going to make the upcoming negotiations even right. more tricky. Uh, continuing along, little Flames talk mailbag, Steinberg and West along with you. This says, do they start the season with any of Lindholm, Backlund, or Hannafin, and do they finish the season with any of the three? Um, I think on the first Good one, question. yes, I do think they'll start with at least one of those guys on the roster. My guess is Backlund has the best chance of being on the roster to start the year. I just, I, the offers I think are pretty soft on Michael right now. And I don't think the Flames should be considering soft offers for Michael Backlund. He's way more valuable to them um, on the team than trading him away for a song. Uh, Lindholm is fascinating just because a lot of this is... The timeline is based on him. He's kind of making the choice as to when a lot of this gets determined. And I think they are attempting to move Hannafin out this summer. Whether or not they're successful or not, we'll see. As to whether or not they finish with any of the three... If Lindholm is under contract, then of course, like if he's signed long-term, of course. But if he's not, and they start with those guys on the roster, I hope that at least two of them would be dealt by the deadline, if not all three of them. Because I think I think you'd get a really good return for Backlund at the deadline if you go into the season with him on the roster. Yeah, and you'd have that same conversation about Chris Tanev, wouldn't you? Yep, yep, 100%. Yeah. I uh, I I base this, you know, on, on what I've sort of heard about where the different talks are at, and, and also just based on what we're seeing around the league and in how tough it's been to move players. I'd be shocked if at least one or probably maybe two of those players aren't at training camp. Like I, I don't think we're talking about three major trades coming between. July 14th and the start of training camp right. for the Flames. Maybe one, but I, I'm I'm not sure I see two, and I definitely don't see three. But it it's absolutely conceivable that none of those players are on the Flames roster past the trade deadline. Yep. And again, you can add Chris Tanev to that list because that's another guy who's very valuable on your team. A lot of similar traits, obviously different positions and, and all that, but a lot of similar traits to what makes Michael Val Michael Backland more yep. valuable in Calgary maybe than he might be over the summer elsewhere. But those guys are going to be coveted additions at the trade deadline if if it gets to that point. Uh this one from Greg and Varsity. How much movement will we see with weather uh with waiver exempt players this season? Um I think there's a potential that we see that with one player in particular, and that's Dustin Wolf. Uh, I don't know. I think that there's a good chance that Coronado is up with the team all year long, and if he's not, I don't think he'll bounce between leagues. I think that my here here is my best guess. If Coronado's not a flame all year long, I think he starts in Calgary, then would go to the American League if it's not quite working out, get a month or two down there, and then come back up. That's how I would see it going with Coronado. But my gut tells me, and just based on the way things are trending, I think Coronado's got a great chance of being on the Flames all year long. So the only guy, and, and same with Pelche. I don't think Pelche is going to do a lot of bouncing back and forth. So with the, but the one guy that I think, especially if they don't trade Jacob or Vladar, between now and the start of the season, I think you could see some movement with Dustin Wolf coming up and down from the minors with his waiver exemption status. 
Yeah, and I I think you're right about that. I I don't think that's the way to go with Dustin Wolf at this point. I, you know, I, I think those who listen are are familiar with my stance that there's not much more for him to yep. do at the AHL level that I think he should be one of the two goalies on the Flames roster this coming season. And yet I also understand that you're not just going to give Dan Vladar away and that, you know, if there's not a trade offer that makes sense, then basically your next solution is to you take advantage of Dustin Wolf's waiver exempt status and, and bump him back up and down a little. Now I agree with you on, on the marquee forward prospects. We're talking about, you know, Pelche and Coronado are not going to be on a yo-yo this season. Could they be up once and down once over a stretch of months? Certainly, but I don't think we're talking about, you know, guys bouncing up and down every couple of weeks. If, if that does happen with any of the guys, I think it would be sort of some of the depth options, not, not those two we were talking about, but maybe you have another spot that's left open for a young guy and you shuttle some up and down in almost like a 13th or 14th forward capacity and a fourth line capacity. But I just don't see it with those main guys you're talking about. Uh, here's a rare good question from Travis. Just kidding, Trav. This is Travis from the post-game show, so that's why I can take that shot. Uh, just kidding, Trav. But Travis says, are they making a big mistake by committing long-term to Lindholm? Uh, where, he is on the, where he is on the fence about signing, uh, why do they have to overpay every time to keep these players? You overpay several times to keep players. doesn't help you build a championship team. Getting younger players and picks helps build a championship team. That's from Travis on the Lindholm front. And so I think it's a really fair question because here's the thing that concerns me about Elias Lindholm. And this is coming from a guy who does believe the best case scenario is them keeping him on a deal kind of in the eight year between eight and a half, nine million dollar range, which I think is where the offer is kind of in the eight point seven five nine million dollar range, I think is what the offer's on the table. There's it's open to negotiation. Obviously, it's not like take it or leave it. You either take this as it's written or we can't talk about it. If if Lindholm's willing to negotiate on it, then they'll negotiate on it. But what worries me is that you get a guy who's like, yeah, I'll sign because I'm not going to get that anywhere else. And that and and that being the primary motivation right. of him signing back with the Flames. I think ideally you'd like Lindholm to re-sign because he sees a future here. He likes it here. Feels like he can be a driving force of this team being good. And it's not primarily motivated by finances. So that's what worries me on Lindholm, that he signs the deal and he's like, yeah, was this the right move? Did I want to stay here? I mean, I know that it's, I couldn't have got this money elsewhere. I don't think that's what Lindholm is all about. I think deep down, despite the fact that we don't really know Elias, he's very reserved publicly. Yeah. I think from people I talk to and just being around him, I think this is a guy very driven who's got very high standards for himself and who does not like losing. This is a guy who I, I really do believe hates to lose. He just doesn't necessarily show it the way that other guys do or, or publicly. So I get the question in saying all of that, knowing how long this team has been searching for anything close to a number one center 
and knowing that Lindholm has kind of taken up that mantle, not kind of, but has taken up that mantle over the last three or four years, and I think still has four or five years of being a number one center. Like he he profiles like Ryan O'Reilly to me. In that is Ryan O'Reilly the best number one center in the NHL? No, but he was good enough to help the Blues win a Stanley Cup. And he is, I think, a middle tier number one center in the NHL. That's how I see Lindholm. And even though he's not McDavid or McKinnon, he's still a really good player and he's still a number one center. And a lot there's not a lot of those guys out there. Right. There's definitely not a lot of the top tier guys. But even where Lindholm is, as a middle-tier number one center, there's not a lot of those guys either. Yeah, and if you didn't make the signings that you made in the last, you know, going back to extending Huberto and signing Nazem Kadri and and extending Uyghur for the term that you did on all those guys, I think you could have a real debate on whether you would be better off letting Elias Lindholm go and, and really committing to a rebuild. But it is so hard to find a number one center. It is so hard to find that guy who can play at the top of your lineup, who can play both ways, who can be the right sort of role model for the young guys that you're bringing up. And absolutely, anytime you're talking about signing a guy until he's 36 or 37, you do risk making a mistake. There's lots of contracts that we can look at across the league where teams have regretted that where where it has proved to be a mistake but the way that I see Elias Lindholm aging the competitive streak that you talk about I think if he wants to be a part of what is building in Calgary a part of what might be changing in Calgary I still think he can be a really valuable asset for a very significant chunk of that contract yeah that's kind of where I am too, uh, especially knowing the way that he plays speed and and skating. Not to say he's slow or a bad skater, but he's he he's not McDavid, he's not McKinnon, he's not. That's not the primary asset in his game, right? Whereas even guys on the team like Dylan Dubé, like speed's a big part right. of his game. Lindholm's IQ, it's positioning, and it's being really strong on pucks and and hard to knock off pucks. He gets there just fine. He's a I would say he's probably a top half skater in the NHL, but it's not like he is an elite out of your seat skater. He's just very, very, it's not really, what weakness does Lindholm have in his game? He's got a great shot. He's a good skater. He's really smart. He's decently physical for his frame. Strong on both sides of special teams. Strong at both both ends of the ice. He doesn't really have weaknesses as a player. He just may not be the very best at any one area. No. But he is your very best player right yep. now. Yep. And yep. if you lose that guy, it's really difficult to replace. And I, I know that, you know, this this question that Travis asked and that others, like, I, I know it's floating around and I absolutely get it. And it's not any sort of disrespect, I know, to Elias Lindholm as a player today. It's just whether committing eight years to anybody who's, getting awfully close to 30 is the right idea for a franchise that is talking about getting younger and that seems to need a, a a reset of sorts. And so I get where the question's coming from. I just, in the case of Elias Lindholm being your best player, the way I think he's going to age the, the traits that he brings, if he wants to stay, I, I really do think 
he can be a part of of what they're building. A few more on our mailbag here. Uh, if we don't get to yours, I apologize. Usually what happens is a little slow to start, and they start coming in fast and furious. We'll get to as many as we can here. This is from Bryden in Calgary. So deadline's a week away. Calgary's comfortably in a playoff spot. Lindholm on the team but not signed, and he's a point-per-game place. What pace, what do you do? This is my answer. This is so far, this is so much easier said than done, but this is my answer. I'm Craig Conroy. I pretend that I'm Kevin Costner in draft day. I write down on a piece of paper, what did he say, Vontae Mack all the way. So instead you say trade Lindholm regardless if not signed. You put that on a piece of paper, you put it under something on your desk, and then come deadline day, you pick that up, you look at it, and you make a trade for Lindholm even if you're in that situation. And and I do think talking to Craig enough, knowing Craig the way I do uh, or the, the way we do, and just knowing how... Um, knowing how I think principled he is on what he wants this team to be. I think he's willing to be pragmatic enough that even if they're comfortably in a playoff spot, if they don't have a commitment from Lindholm, I think he'd trade him. I do easier said than done. That's what I would do. Yeah. No questions asked. I'd still move him, but it is easier said than done. And it would not be easy to do. I still think that he, uh, I think he would do it though. And, and there's a bunch of layers, right? Like what playoff spot are you sitting comfortably in? Because if you happen to be leading the conference, that's harder that gets than if you're even more card. Yeah. difficult, but that that's the right move. If, if Elias Lindholm is not signed a week before the deadline, you absolutely have to trade him. And it's easy for West to say, and it's easy for Pat to say, and it's easy for everyone else to say, it's going to be harder to, to do and by that I just mean to pull the trigger and see your best player at and I believe he said a point per game clip leave town but you absolutely have to you can't you can't try to control yourself no where this team is on its build or or on its reset you can't lose your best player for nothing for the second time in less than two years yep you can't agreed uh, okay, this one. I like it. It's uh, it's a simple question, I think. Or a simple answer for me, but I think it's a fair question. This is from Jaron Okotoks. With the upcoming UFAs, are you at all worried about any of th- these guys getting an injury and getting nothing in return? Yes, absolutely. I absolutely would be worried about that. That's one of the reasons why moving them before that potentially happens, a.k.a. this offseason, especially with a couple of them, is so important. It, it's another thing that's way easier for the guy talking on the radio than for the general manager. But I am of the belief, and I know a big part of this question is referring to Chris Tanev. I am of the belief that his value is so much more at the trade deadline than it would be this summer that I'm willing to take that risk. But what? Okay, so I. But what if? Han, remember, Hannafin yeah, sustained that shoulder yeah. shoulder injury in the they they were still fighting. Sure, I think it was after the deadline, but they were still fighting late in the season in the bubble year, and Hannafin sustained that shoulder injury. What if that happens in like early February, and your plan was to move him at the deadline? Now all of a sudden, you don't move him; he still walks, yeah. and you take this massive asset, and you don't get anything for him. That's yeah, it's unfortunate he got injured, but then it's mismanagement because you didn't trade him earlier. Yeah, and I'd probably draw the line around 30 on whether I'm willing to take the risk or not. You know, I, I'm willing to take the risk with Chris Tanev. I'm willing to take the risk with Michael Backlund. I, I think 
those are the type of veteran pieces that can be so right. coveted at the deadline. Not saying Noah Hannafin wouldn't be coveted at the trade deadline, but those are the type of of guys that you trade for as a contender, not planning to re-sign them. You know, you maybe you end up keeping Chris Tanev, but if you're a contender, you look at him as maybe this is the guy that puts us over the top. You could look at Michael Backlund, despite his lack of playoff experience, and think, you, hey, we could use a really strong third-line center. Let's go get Backlund. Probably can't afford to keep him, but let's see if he can help us win a championship. With a, a younger asset like Noah Hannafin, a guy who the team trading for him would probably want to be talking extension before that happens, I view that a little differently. I am a little more leery of risking that with him. I'll take my chances with the older guys. Last one from Mike in Vancouver, and it, it's all—it's it, very—it's it, all kind of related. Apologies if we don't get to your question on our last mailbag here. Uh, some really good stuff in here today, and uh, a lot of them coming in hot and heavy near the end. This from Mike in Vancouver, guys. I was late getting to listen to you here, so apologies if you've covered this. But after listening to Brian Burke earlier this week, I'm now worrying a lot less as to whether or not the Flames trade Hannafin, Lindholm, or Backlund before the end of next season. You'll remember he explained that if it happens. It's not true to say you get nothing back. You do get something back. You get their cap space, which will be very important in a rebuild or retool. I'm now fully thinking that way. Here is why I disagree with Berkey in this instance. And I've heard him say this before. I've heard other guys say this before. Well, you get cap space back. In a lot of situations, I think that's fair. But when you have two guys on sweetheart deals, I don't think the cap space that you would get in letting Noah Hannafin walk for nothing is enough to offset the missed opportunity that you'd get by trading him for a haul. And the same is true when it comes to Lindholm. Whereas Backland, yeah, that's five plus million dollars of cap space for a guy who just turned 35 or 36 or whatever he is. Sorry to age you back. I just don't remember which one it was. Um, but okay, that's different. But under $5 million on both Hannafin and Lindholm, who are both under 30. I don't think the cap space is enough to offset right. the missed opportunity because you could get a first-round pick and more for both those guys. You trade both of them, that's two additional first-round picks, in my opinion, and other assets. That, to me, is more desirable than going in the direction of getting there under five of cap space. It's just not enough for me. Yeah, I, and if you're really just interested in the cap space, there's ways you can target the return in a trade to still make that work, but I, I just think... With, with what we know about attracting free agents and what you have to pay to get that done. And I understand that you can use cap space and trades, et cetera, but just knowing how difficult it is to go find a bargain to take up that cap space, I, I you got to get assets out of those trades. You really, you have to get pieces. Yep. Good stuff on the mailbag, everybody. Really appreciate it at 960. 960. Uh, good start to the hour. Uh, good start and almost finished to the hour. We still have some time left, but I will tell you it's Wes Gilbertson, Pat Steinberg along with you. We're here in our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Your local experts for basement waterproofing, sump pumps, crawl spaces, foundation repair, and radon mitigation. They're all things basement-y. Visit dlbasementsystemscalgary.com. You're locked on Flames Talk, only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, as we head into Flames Talk's summer hiatus, 
just wanted to uh, ask one final question. Steinberg and Wes along with you on this Friday edition. It's really not all that different than what we just spent the first 40 minutes or so of this hour talking about as we did the mailbag. Once again, thanks for all your questions at 960-960. If you're listening live with us, great, uh, great version of the mailbag, our final one of the summer. But what is the number one remaining story for the Flames that needs to play out? What is the, as, as here we are in mid-July now, as we move into the back half of July and into August, what is the number one thing for you that you want to see answered? The number one question that you're most interested in seeing answered over the next six to eight weeks? Well, as you probably expected, I didn't narrow it down to one, but I, I'm going to give you two. Okay. I am interested or wanting to know Elias Lindholm's answer as it pertains to do you want to be a, a Calgary Flame for the long term? And then I'm fascinated by Craig Conroy's response. And when I say his response, that's what sort of contract he signs him to. Although I think we have a, a pretty good idea just based on the Horvat and, and Dubois extensions, what that ballpark will be. But especially if Elias Lindholm says, you know what? I think it's best for me to go somewhere else. I'm really fascinated by what the response is. Whatever Elias Lindholm decides, it is going to have franchise altering effects. And I'm really curious to see how Craig Conroy, and I said it earlier, I'll just repeat it for those who didn't hear. I've been really impressed with his approach and his patience so far. Yep. This is going to be his first really, really, really big challenge dealing with the Elias Lindholm file. And I'm fascinated by where that goes. Lindholm is number one for me. I don't know. It's We've talked so much about Hannafin. Because it's kind of a tie for number two. So I'll give you my... my Because Lindholm is it for me. Because there's so much that goes into it. What does that contract look like? What does that trade look like? All of that. But I am really interested to see what they do in that. Because of what you said earlier about Dustin Wolf. I'm with you. I don't think Dustin Wolf has a whole lot more to prove or accomplish in the American League. Now, I don't think it is a travesty if he spends most of this year with the Wranglers. I don't think that it is something that will derail his career or derail his time with the Flames or anything like that. But I also think it's important to show a path of progression, not just to Dustin, but to other players in the organization. And if a guy is very clearly outgrown a league to keep him there and not have some sort of progression plan for him, I think sends a bad message. So I don't necessarily mean that they have to trade away one of Dan Vladar or Jacob Markstrom, but I think that, that at the very least they are willing to entertain those conversations because Dustin Wolf is in the mix. But that is my number one question. How does the goaltending situation play out? Or I guess my uh, number one question after Elias Lindholm, how does it play out? Do they roll with three at any point next season? Do they mix and match, use Dustin Wolf's waiver exemption uh, as some key points or, or targeted points in the schedule? Does Dustin play in the American League for a good chunk of the first half and then a trade gets made? Or do they find a way to make a trade between now and the start of the regular season? What does this goaltending situation play out as? I would say it would be right there 
just underneath the Elias Lindholm one. Hopefully you and I aren't sitting here in October reminiscing about the last time we covered a three-goalie system at the Saddledome. Didn't go great. Was that uh, Jonas Hiller? Yeah. Kari Ramo? Yeah. And Yoni Ortio? Bingo. Needless. You did not need that. Ortio would have gone through waivers. It uh, It's a very good question. And... I, I think we both agree, and, and we've talked about it at length. I think we both agree that the Elias Lindholm question and, and answer is the biggest storyline, but there's no shortage of other with ones. this team, yep. Yep. whether it's Noah Hannafin, whether it's goaltending, whether it's who's going to score some goals for this team, whether it's Backlund, Tanev, Zadorov. It, there's a lot to deal with. There, there are a lot of reasons to be fascinated by what comes in the next handful of months for the Calgary Flames. Uh, just want to say as we wrap up this hour, uh, Flames Talk is set to go on hiatus now after we wrap up this hour. We'll be back for an LTE, limited time engagement, I'm sure, at, in August. Um, and, you know, if something huge happens and I'm still in town during holidays, I'm sure we'll do bonus episodes. Like if a blockbuster trade happens next week, I'm sure we'll do something. Like uh, we'll, we'll always be there. But there's also a two-and-a-half-week span where – I uh, eight hours removed. The time zone will be a little bit different, so yeah, we'll be on a we'll be on an extended hiatus for the next at least four weeks. We won't be back in earnest until after Labor Day, and maybe some limited time shows in a week or two here or there in August. Uh, I just wanted to say that now, just over eighteen months of Flames Talk being in existence, we're now over. 2.3 million downloads in that time, and that would not be possible without everyone involved. So, you know, the, uh, the, the four people behind the scenes that are most chiefly involved, uh, Cam Hughes, Taylor Dingman, Azam Nanji, Garrett Vanderplug, uh, the first two are involved in the, the P, so, so heavily involved in the PM versions of Flames Talk and what we're pumping out on a daily basis. And it, it's, it's turned into a real science for them. Uh, plus all the social media and things that they do behind the scenes. And then uh, for Garrett and Azam, it's been the same thing on those Flames Talk post games that uh, they've turned into an absolute science. And those things pump out the downloads as well. So thanks to those four uh, and everybody else who has been involved over the last season. Uh, Wes, across from me, Ryan Pike and Aaron Vickers stepped into the co-hosting role. All three uh, did a hell of a job. You've been doing it since September, so I give you a salute. Thanks all year for uh, doing that. Uh, Logan as well. Logan Gordon has always been ready to jump in, even though he's doing his own two- and three-hour show every day too, which means a lot. And then, of course, thanks to everybody who uh, listens live on Sportsnet 960 during the afternoon, after games, and uh, everyone who downloads the podcast after the fact. So we'll have some content between now and Labor Day for sure, but uh, we'll go on hiatus after I stop flapping my gums here. Just wanted to say thank you to everybody involved. It's been a lot of fun once again. So somebody should probably thank you too, because no. I didn't even know that you knew the, the V word vacation <laughs> until about five minutes ago. So I know how much work you put into this show and, and you're never not at the rink for morning skate. You're there for every game. There's a reason you're so well-respected by this fan base. So thanks to you too, buddy. Thanks buddy. Appreciate that. Thanks to uh, everybody for listening. Uh, enjoy your summer. Hey, uh, for this hour for Wes, for Shan, 
For Garrett and for Taylor, my name is Pat. This hour has been the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe, Calgary's trusted locksmith for emergency unlocks and more. Visit calgarylockandsafe.com.